morning. Welcome to St. James. It's good to see uh, all of you people here, and also welcome to the people on the live stream. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us as well. Uh, check out the notices on the back of the bulletin. Everything's on schedule for today, youth confirmation, uh, evening prayer at 5.30, new members class at 6.30. If you want to be involved in that, there's a good group that's going to be there. Uh, feel free to come. Actually, let me know so I can uh, make you up some materials, and uh, we'll meet for that. Um, Everything else is on schedule for this week as well. Stacy's going to come and talk to us in just a minute about some youth group stuff. A couple things that uh, aren't on the bulletin, uh, but they will be next week. Let me point out to you. Uh, so um, I know we've, we've been tinkering around with times, in, with the service times, and I apologize about that. We're just trying to get it as efficient as possible. One of the things we realized was that the 8 o'clock service is smaller and we end up taking communion pretty quickly. So usually it's like one group around the rail, and then we're done. And so it's a much quicker service, and that leaves us with a half-hour gap between the end of the service and Sunday school and Bible study. So in a few weeks, and we'll give you plenty of notice, but in a few weeks what we want to do is to bump Bible study up 15 minutes to start at 9.15, and then bump this service up 15 minutes to start at 10.30. So just trying to be more efficient with time. That's the one thing. So here's the second thing, too. And again, we'll um, give you some warning about this. In a couple, what, what, the elders were talking, and what we, we'd like to do this is, what we'd like to do, a lot of stuff we'd like to do, but one of the things we'd like to do is to support the teachers at Metro East Lutheran High School by, um, we got a little bit of feedback recently about them not having a lot of opportunities to do like team building, social events together. And um, we'd like to provide that for them. We haven't really talked to the school yet, but um, Dave Mullenhauer promises us that this is a good idea. So uh, I think it's a great idea. What we want to do, I, think, I can't remember if it's next week or two weeks from now, maybe two weeks from now, take up a, a free will door offering on the way out of church. And whatever we get, we're going to use to provide the teachers at the high school with some sort of event where they can get together, them and their families, and spend time team building so that they can serve the church better. That's what we'd like to do. So just be thinking about that and praying about that. Um, uh, and I'll let you know more about that as we're coming up here. Okay, I think that's all. Oh, one more thing. Uh, on your way out, there is a 
um, cooler that Charlie Wolf brought in that's filled with excess cucumber that he has. All right, so you can have, he said, uh, t- take what you want from there. But, but be judicious. Don't like just take the whole cooler if you're the first one out there. All right, that's all I've got. Uh, Stacy's going to come and give us some good announcements. Hi, good morning. First of all, I would like to invite all of our junior and senior high to Tuesday nights here at the church from 6.30 to 8 for youth group. So if you are going into the sixth grade this fall, that includes you. Come join us on Tuesday nights. And if you've just graduated from high school all the way up through 12th grade, join us for the summer. We've got lots of fun things before you head off to college. This Tuesday... From 12.30 until 2, our youth group is going out to Fairmont City to the Christian Activity Center. We signed up to help with their summer lunch program that they provide to families there in the area, the Hispanic community. And we're going to be doing a short Bible lesson. We're going to sing some songs, make some crafts, play some games, and all of youth group is invited. So if you're able to come, join us there. We'll meet on-site at the Christian Activity Center, or if you need a ride, let me know, and we can meet here at the church first and do some carpooling. If you're not in youth group, but you want to come and help, please do. Please join us out there. We're going to get there at noon to set up, and I have these printouts I'll have in the back. We are going to sing Jesus Loves Me in Spanish and in English, and we have a Bible verse on here that we're going to teach the kids too. So if you're interested in coming, pick up one of these so you can kind of look it over. It's really simple, and you can always just, you know, silently whisper, sing if you want in the background, if that's easier for you. But we learned it all Tuesday night, and we're very excited. So come join us. Please stand with me, and then we'll pray, and we'll continue in worship. Father, uh, We, uh, like your son's disciples um, out on the Sea of Galilee in a storm, uh, know that we are very, very close to death and we don't know when it's going to happen. We want to know that you are going to rescue us. We don't even necessarily need instructions for how to handle storms or even uh, comfort in the storm. We need to know that your crucified and risen son can solve storms, and can rescue us and save our lives. And so this morning, we're asking you to do that, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, come here yourself and fix us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, great God, whom we behold in awe and wonder, who has kept covenant and steadfast love with your people from age to age. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We have known in our hearts what is right, and yet we did wrong anyway. We have been fascinated by evil, delighted with pleasing ourselves, satisfying our desires, serving ourselves with pleasures. O Lord, great God, have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. We know you are a God who delights in goodness. Grant that we too might delight in goodness. We know you are a God who rejoices in peace and justice. Grant that we might be at peace with ourselves and each other. O Lord, great God, grant that our hearts might be filled with the love of justice, with peace beyond understanding 
with patience, with joy. These prayers we present to you, O Father, in the name of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and yet lives forevermore. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from Romans 5. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Psalm for this morning is from Psalm 145. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is from Genesis 9. It's about salvation through water. It's about the covenant that God made with Noah. It's about God's promise to rescue his creation. It's about God's commitment to his world that he created and his promise after the flood to never destroy it again with water. 
God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It's for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that it's on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Ephesians 3. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that... According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 6. Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while He dismissed the crowd. And after He had taken leave of them, He went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and He was alone on the land. And He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, He came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw Him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So you can, uh, we're supposed to have a baptism this morning, and a little cadence was under the weather, so we're going to put that off for, the, for another day. But the hymn that we sang, I mean, it's about baptism, right? But it, it works well with this story, with a lot of the stories that is told about Jesus rescuing his disciples through water. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today, this uh, story of Jesus walking on water and rescuing the disciples from this storm. I'm just going to jump into it. There's th- three, three big points I kind of want to point out here. And they're all, I mean, they're, when I say them, they're all going to sound like real general and like, okay, duh. Uh, you know, uh, first grade Sunday school. But uh, we'll work through them. And uh, hopefully there's some good juicy stuff in here. So uh, the first thing that this, the first thing Mark wants us to know from this story is that Jesus is the eternal creator, redeemer God. That's the first thing that, this, that Mark wants us to see. Now, I've got to backtrack here. So if everybody, if, if you guys have been paying attention, you'll remember that I frequently have said since we started reading Mark together that the miracles don't prove that Jesus is God. That's not their point. I believe that Jesus is God, but the miracles don't prove it. Right? That's not that's not their point. So for instance, last week Pastor Lang talked to you guys about the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. Does that miracle, does Jesus performing that miracle, does that prove that he's the son of God? No, Elijah actually performs that same miracle back in the Old Testament, and he's not God. He's a prophet who has God's power on his side, but it doesn't prove that he's God. It, maybe it proves that Jesus is a prophet, but that miracle doesn't prove that Jesus is God. But now we come to a miracle when actually that's Mark's point, though, this time, is that unlike the other miracles that we've read, there were healing miracles in the Old Testament as well, right? A lot of the stuff that Jesus did, Elijah did. But now with this one, Mark intentionally wants us to see that Jesus is something more than a prophet working for the Creator God, that Jesus actually is the eternal Creator, Redeemer God. So, how does he make this clear? A couple ways. One, look at verse 50. They, so the, the, they're, they're on the, 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 the disciples are in the boat on the sea, and they see Jesus walking out on the sea, and they think it's a ghost. And they cry out, they're scared. But Jesus says to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, so that, take heart, it is I, uh, hang with me for just a second here. This is kind of eggheadish. Literally, I mean, the ESV says it is I, but literally in the Greek, it's just the words I am. Take heart, I am. Which is a weird thing to say. Like when you're, well, I guess anything that you would say while walking on the water would be considered strange. But to, to, he doesn't say, hey, it's me, guys. That's kind of what the ESV sounds like. But actually, he says something completely different. He says, take heart, I am. Now, some of you know this. For those of you who don't, I'm just going to say this. This is a re- review for a lot of you I know. Moses meets the creator God in the desert in Exodus chapter 3. Weird story. Burn, burning bush. That's, the creator God is somehow tied up with this burning bush. And the creator God tells Moses, Go to, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let Israel, my people, go so that they can worship me. And Mo- Moses asked a really good question. He says, okay, so I'm going to go there and I'm going to tell them that God said, I'm going to tell Pharaoh that God said to let the people of Israel go, but he's going to want to know which God I've been talking to because he knows all the best gods. <laughs> like he is, you know, he is the son of Amon-Ra, the most powerful God in the universe. Like he's going to want to know who do I represent. And The creator God in Exodus 3 says to Moses, tell him that I am sent you, that I am who I am. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses here about himself. Like no self-respecting Orthodox Jewish man would ever refer to himself as I am. That's sacred territory. That's so sacred that in Hebrew, Yahweh, they, they don't even let themselves say that out loud. They have workarounds so that they don't have to even say the words. And here he is, he says, uh, same thing he says at the end of John chapter 8. You remember that story? He's kind of like do, doing uh, uh, you know, a, a battle of wits with some people who are arguing that you know, you're a bastard, we shouldn't have to listen to you. And he's like, actually, I know who my father is. My father is God. You know, I know who your father is. Your father is Satan. And uh, if you were really the son, the children of Abraham, like you say you are, you would not be upset with me because like me and Abraham are like this. Well, how do you know Abraham, they say? You've only been alive 30 years. Abraham lived 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says, before Ab- he, doesn't, he doesn't say before Abraham was, I was too. That would be remarkable enough to claim that, you know, before Abraham Lincoln was, I was. That would just be nonsense, right? He doesn't say that though. He said before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was in the past, me eternal present tense. It's the same exact words that he uses here with the disciples. What does this mean? Well, it means that the guy who was talking to Moses from the burning bush is the guy who's walking on the water right here. That's what it means. The I am from Exodus 3 is the I am from Mark chapter 6. It means he's eternal. He is the only person, the only, he's the only human being ever who's allowed to use the present tense about himself in perpetuity. You and I have past tenses. We've changed. You know, we weren't the same people we were two days ago, let alone 20 years ago. We have futures, undeterminate. Who knows what's going to happen, where we're going to be, who we're going to be with, what we're going to be doing. But Jesus always is. He is the I am. He's also the creator. The one who, the one who can say, I am who I am. None of us can say that, right? I can't say, I am who I am. I am this mixture of DNA and biology for my mom and dad. I am the house that I grew up in. I am the movies my mom liked to watch. I'm the music my dad liked to listen to. 
I'm the food that I eat. I'm very much formed by my, my, my relationship with you guys. And if I was a member of a different church, I would be a different person. And some of these things are kind of subtle, and some of these things are big. But, but I do not exist on my own. I'm dependent on, on an infinite number of factors to be who I am today, right now. Jesus, though, is who he is. He's dependent upon nothing. Everything else is dependent upon him. And when he says, I am, he is the only thing that can say, I am, because he's the creator God. He's also the redeemer God. The one speaking to Moses out of the bush in Exodus 3 is speaking to Moses so that Moses goes and delivers the people of Israel from slavery. And when Jesus claims to be the I am, he claims to be the Exodus God, the redeeming God, the God who is here to redeem from slavery. Jesus is the eternal creator, redeemer God. First point. Second point, more than that, he is the eternal creator, redeemer God, but he is now the visible God. He's now the visible God. How does Mark make this point? A couple of weird ways. First of all, uh, this, point, this, this isn't actually weird. If, if you are a faithful Old Testament reader, and um, they certainly would, they, they, Jesus' disciples certainly were, they would know that there's only one person in the Old Testament who walks on water. You guys, are you guys aware of this? So, so the, the Old Testament describes God as a water walker. Not a lot, but more than a handful of times. Describes him as the one who marches on the water. It's kind of a weird description. I'll, I'll give you some examples. Uh, Habakkuk uh, 3.15. So in Habakkuk 3, there's this marvelous prayer that Habakkuk is praying where he's glorifying the God who always rescues his people and his enemies can never defeat him. And part of that is he says this, God, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. You trampled the sea with your horses. It's kind of an odd thing to say, right? I'll give you another example. I'll give you uh, three more examples. Job chapter 9. God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. God's the only one who can trample the waves. God's the only one who can march on water. Again, from Job uh, chapter 38 this time. And this is the section where he's, t- uh, you remember where you know, Job is complaining about God and like, I don't understand you, God. And then God meets him at the end of the book and doesn't really give him any sort of answers to his questions about the problem of evil and suffering. But God says to him, look, I'm God and you're not. And that's kind of where this conversation is going to have to end. And the way he does it, though, is for three chapters, he says, do you know where I store up lightning? Do you know how to make goats? These sorts of things. And one of the things he says to him is, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Are you a water walker? Can you do that? Can you march through the middle of the ocean? You know, rhetorical question, implied answer, no, I can't, Job. Job says, like, I, like the disciples, am scared of water. I know that when I'm on water, I'm just minutes away from dying if something goes wrong. Only God can walk on water. One more example in Isaiah 43. This is kind of related to the Exodus too. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. God is the water walker. When Jesus is walking on water, that's actually something Elijah never did. Something Moses never did. Something that that, that the action prophets of the Old Testament, none of them ever did. The only one in the Old Testament who walks on water is the creator God. But what about this weird phrase in verse 48? Look at this. Uh, So about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. By the way, this is one of the ways we know that Mark was written for a Roman audience, not a Jewish audience. Uh, The Jews had three watches there there, in their kind of the way they talked about like breaking up night time-wise. They had three. Romans had four. So... uh, 
So roughly between, uh, this is right near the end of the night, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., um, uh, the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. What's up with this next line? He meant to pass by them. Isn't that weird? So like here's the, the, this boat, it's on the, you know, it's in trouble. Jesus sees them out there. It says earlier, he sees them. Ostensibly, he's got compassion. He's going out to rescue them. But he doesn't head for them. He means to pass by them. That's a great line. I'll tell you what's going on here. Let me go back to Job. I didn't read you this whole thing, but in Job chapter 9, when it talks about God being a water walker, Job says this. This is Job, Job chapter 9, verse 8. God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Only God walks on water. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. He passes by me, but I can't see him. All right? You can't. Job's like God walks on water, but really you can't look at him. He passes by because you can't look at him and see him. That's the God of the Old Testament, the creator, uh, eternal redeemer God of the Old Testament is a God that you can't see. In fact, when I say can't, I don't mean it's a rule you can't. I mean like biologically you can't see or it would kill you, right? Which brings us to two famous stories where God tells people who want to see him, you can't see me because I'll kill you. And you know what language he uses? Exodus 33, Moses People of Israel, they've crossed over the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness, and Moses is like having kind of a headache with these people who are giving him lots of problems, the children of Israel. And he says to God, you know what would really encourage me? If like I could just see you, I just want to see you. And God says, no, because like you would blow up if I saw you, you couldn't handle it. Instead, here's what I'm going to do, Exodus 33, I'm going to put you in a cave, and in that cave, you can just see out the entrance, this little tiny slice out the entrance, and while my glory passes by, it's the word he uses. I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. See what, you see what God's saying there? You can't see me. It would kill you, but I can pass by you and then you can get kind of a little bit of a glimpse. Same thing in 1 Kings 19. Elijah's just got done doing battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He's super discouraged because he feels like he's the only one who serves the Lord. He actually walks to Mount Horeb where uh, Moses met God, and he basically like, God, where are you at? And God comes to meet him, but he can't see him. Same thing, he puts him into a cave. In 1 Kings 19, 11, said, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about, you guessed it, to pass by. God cannot be seen by people. He is immortal. He's invisible. He's shrouded in light. The vision of the creator God would result in immediate death. Instead, if you want to see him in the Old Testament, it's just by passing by, just a tiny glimpse of him. That's why Job says, he marches on the water, he tramples the waves of the sea. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Now, take all that from the Old Testament and plug that into Mark chapter 6. Jesus, the disciples are in a boat on the water, they're in trouble. Jesus marches out to meet them and he's about to pass by them. And now if you've read the Old Testament like we just did, you know exactly what Mark is saying. This is the way it's supposed to work. When the creator God walks on water, when the creator God moves to rescue his people, nobody can see him. But now, he gets into the boat with you. Now the creator, redeemer, infinitely eternal God is visible. He's tangible. He is now accessible to his people. You can look in the face of the creator God and not be blown up. Because the creator God has taken upon flesh and become one of us. And, 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 and Mark 
pulls that perfectly by saying, and it's weird if you aren't familiar with all that, if you, if you don't think about Exodus 33 and 1 Kings 19 and Job 9, it's weird, but Mark is saying that there's a new chapter in this story. That what, what was before inaccessible, what we, what we believed in only by faith, what we knew that we could never completely access, what we could only approach through a curtain, what we could only approach through a priesthood of other human beings, what we could only approach through this vast, complex, sacrificial system, what we could only approach by yearly journeys to the city of Jerusalem is now climbing out of the water and sitting in the boat with us. And so we, look, all of our idols are like this. All of our idols are invisible. I'm not saying that all of our idols are like the creator God of the Old Testament, but they're all inaccessible. They're not to be approached. Like in, in whatever, I, I always do a litany of idols every time I preach, but you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's money or maybe it's like being accepted by people or maybe it's some sort of relationship that's super important to you, a family or a friend relationship. Maybe it's career advancement. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's food. All of these are invisible gods. And now I know what you're saying. You're being like, food's not invisible. Like money's not invisible. I can see it. Well, yeah, it is. You know that it's not actually food that you're after. What you're after is that feeling of satisfaction or the feeling of pleasure. It's always a moving target. All of our idols are because they're invisible. You think that your idol is that chalupa at Taco Bell and you go and you think that's going to make you happy. And then two hours later, you're either sick to your stomach or you're hungry again because that's what idols are. They're moving targets. They're invisible and they're inaccessible. And our God is the only God to be worshiped in the entire world who is accessible because our God out of all the gods in the entire world, is the only God who's a human being who actually, literally, can climb into the boat with you. And we're frustrated because, a lot of times we're frustrated because we feel like he's inaccessible. We've all done this. I do this all the time myself, this like, God, where are you at? And the answer is, is he's sitting in the boat with you. That's the answer. He's right there, literally right there. So you're like, okay, so, but where is he? Like, he's still invisible, right? No, he's ascended to the right hand of his father, not because he's now distant, but because he's now made himself super accessible in three different ways. I know this is review. For some of you, you can like probably say this along with me. If you can't, if, you, if you're not familiar with this, let me just do this. Jesus Christ is physically present with us. In three, you want to meet Jesus face-to-face? -face? There's three ways to do it. It's on the uh, sign out front. Word. The Bible insists that when God's word is spoken out loud, 1 Peter 4, it's actually God himself speaking. It's an oracle of God. You want to hear the voice of God? Start talking scripture to each other. Start listening to Christian sermons. When you go and you're talking with your kids about the faith, when you're talking with somebody that you're trying to evangelize about the faith, when you're sitting in a community group and you're kicking around things about the Bible, when you're sitting around with your family over dinner and you're talking about God, and you're speaking his word, you know what? I mean, it sounds like your voice coming out of your mouth, but 1 Peter 4 insists it's actually the voice of God. You are audibly hearing the voice of God. The sacraments are the same way, right? This is, uh, water is his word. Ephesians 5 says, in baptism, Christ washes his bride with the water of the word. Baptism is the word of God in liquid form. You want to touch God? You want to know what it's like to feel God on your skin? Remember your baptism. You want to know what it's like to, to taste God, to handle God, to see God, to smell God? Come to the rail. 1 Corinthians 11 insists that as often as we eat and drink his blood, his, his body and blood, we are preaching his death. That's word language. The bread and wine of Holy Communion is the word of God in bread and wine form. You want to know Christ? 
word and sacrament. Second thing, community. Paul insists, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, many other places, that Christ is actually present in his body. The body of Christ isn't some sort of cute metaphor for how we're all going to get along and work together. It's actually a reality. Christ is present on this earth in his body. Not me, I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. Together, Christ is present in some mysterious way. Christ himself is present. You want to experience, you want to know what it's like. We talked about this in Bible study. My daughter forgave me of a sin that I committed against her last night. And when she said, Dad, I forgive you, I saw in her face the face of Jesus. I heard, this is what John 20 says. If you forgive anybody in the name of Jesus, Jesus himself forgives you. It's what Matthew 18 says. Matthew 13. Matthew 18. I can't remember which one. Matthew 13, I think. That when we forgive each other in the name of Jesus, it's actually Christ forgiving us. I saw my Savior, Jesus, physically in the face of my daughter last night when I said, I'm sorry for saying that to you. Will you please forgive me? And she said, of course I forgive you, Dad. The third thing is works of mercy. Jesus insists in his teaching on the sheep and the goats that whenever you do an act of mercy for one of these little ones, one of these, the least of these, you are doing it to Jesus himself. You want to meet Jesus? Be on mission doing acts of mercy. These three things. We feel like Jesus is so far away. He's not. He's actually in the boat. That's the best thing about being a Christian is that you have personal contact with the one who created you and redeemed you through word, through community, and through mercy. Jesus is the visible God. Last thing, and I'll try and make this quick. Jesus isn't just the eternal creator, redeemer God. He's not just the eternal creator, redeemer God, who's now the visible God. He's also all, the, all these things, but he's a saving God. Like his default mode is rescuing, and that's what confuses the disciples. There's this interesting section in here, which is kind of the heart of the, the whole story. In verse 51, Jesus gets into the boat with them, and the wind ceases. They're utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They're utterly astounded that this, that this whole thing happened, the whole walking on water thing, Jesus in the boat, storm ceasing, for two reasons. One is, is they didn't understand about the loaves, what Pastor Lang preached about last week. Second thing is, is their hearts were hardened. Now, what did they not understand about the loaves? This isn't super clear, but here's what I think is going on here. What, the story, and I don't want to re-preach Pastor Lang's sermon, but the story of the, the, the multiplication of the loaves is basically the confluence of these two important things that you have to understand about God and Jesus Christ if you're really going to get him. One is, is that he's all-powerful, and one is that he's all-loving. And we all struggle with this. Whenever you're having a hard time in your life, whether you're Christian, unbeliever, wherever you're at, you're going to question one of two things. If you're questioning and you're struggling, it's going to be in reference to God it's going to either be in reference to God, why won't you help me? Do you not want to help me, or are you not able to help me? That's the problem of evil, right? Is if there is a God, and he's all-powerful, then he must not be all-good, because if he's all-powerful, he could fix our problems. If there's a God that's all-loving, he must not be all-powerful, because he would want to fix our problems, but he's not doing it, because maybe he can't, or he's just bad, which wouldn't make sense if he's all-loving. And what the, the, the meaning of the, one of the things that's going on with the multiplication of loaves and fishes is that Jesus has this power to create food. Like, I mean, I guess, like, if he, if, if he didn't stop, he could have continued to this day just making bread until the entire universe was nothing but bread and chunks of fish. I guess he could have done that if he wanted to. He has infinite power to create food. He also, though, is motivated. He's not showing off. He's not trying to build an army. This is not some sort of theological flex. 
The story, go back and look at the story of the pastor only preaching all that. Mark 6, 34. He looks out upon them and he sees that they're like sheep with no shepherd and he has compassion on them. He's completely motivated by compassion. Now, what does this have to do with the disciples? They don't get it because they understand. Well, I don't think that they're astounded because he's done this mighty deed. They've seen him do stuff, crazy, powerful stuff before. What they're astounded by, I think, is that he's doing it for them. Like, they believe, okay, so here, move on to the second thing here. This will help explain it. They have hard hearts. This is the two reasons. One is that they don't understand the, 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 the loaves. Two is they have hard hearts. What does that mean? Well, this is, classic, this is classic Exodus language. Do you remember the children of Israel? We've been talking about Exodus a lot today. Well, there's a reason for that. This is a good Exodus story. Children of Israel in the desert. And like, do you guys remember from Sunday school? Like all the powerful things God does to provide for them. Remember how, like, you know, first of all, he, like, parts the Red Sea, kills all their enemies. He creates unlimited bread for them. He creates unlimited meat for them. When there's no water, he creates unlimited fresh water for them. And then what do they do? The next time they get in the jam, what do they do? What are you doing, God? Have you brought us out here into the desert to die? They have hard hearts. They, see, they, they know that God is powerful. But it has not yet got to the point where it has softened their heart to where they submit to him. They don't actually believe that he's powerful for them. They know he can do powerful stuff and that he's consistently done powerful stuff for them. But the next time they get into a jam, they're like, well, I guess you want to kill me. Why'd you bring us out into the desert? That's what the hard heart is. That's what Mark means by describing the disciples as having a hard heart. How many miracles have they seen Jesus do? And they're yet to believe that he wants to do the miracle for them. They can't, like, have a hard heart. They can't believe that he actually has compassion for them. They believe in his power, but they don't believe in his love. They have not yet put those two things together. And maybe the disciples are convinced that Jesus has ulterior motives. Like he fed those 5,000 people because he's got to build an army, right? Because they still think he's off to fight Rome. So he's doing this thing to kind of get public. But like the group of us in a boat, like we're kind of expendable. Like it won't hurt him to lose, you know, 10 to 15 people. Maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know, but they have not yet put together the fact that God is powerful, which they know, with the fact that God is loving, which they're not yet ready to believe. So, so some of you know this story. I've told this in here before. Some of you don't. So when I was running from God, I never at one point in my life, rebelling against God, I never at one point ever thought the Bible's not true. Like, I always thought this is factually true. And I was having a conversation with Angela one time and she was lovingly tried, trying to guide me to the cross. And I remember basically saying to her, like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's not true. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I'm fully prepared to believe that, that God became flesh and died and rose from the dead. I, but it's not for me. And she was like, that's, well, that's really scary then. And I, I remember telling her, yeah, I, 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 I'm probably going to hell. I don't want it. I don't want the Christianity stuff. That's where I was. For, for a long time before like God melted my heart. Well, I'll give you, so was it Good Shepherd and Pastor Walter preached this sermon about um, the temptation of Jesus where Jesus beat Satan. And I remember thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. I mean, I knew that story from when I was a kid, but it was like the first time in my life that I'd ever realized that Jesus beat Satan for us. I had not yet put like 
I believed that God was powerful. I knew he was going to send me to hell. I had not yet plugged that in with, he wants to rescue me. Like me in the boat in the storm, that's important to him. That's where the disciples were at. And look, I'm just going to end here. And that's what I want to leave you with this. A lot of you, some of you are unbelievers. Some of you are Christians. Some of you are like, you've done the whole confirmation thing. Like you could like, you've got the catechism memorized and stuff. And you know all this stuff about God. But you do not yet believe that God in Jesus Christ is the invisible God who has now climbed into your boat for the express purpose to rescue you. I don't mean as some sort of like metaphor for living, like, God, like, deliver me from the storms of my life. No, actually, to deliver you from all storms. To fix all your problems. To heal your body. To heal your mind. To heal your relationships. And I'm not not saying it's going to happen perfectly like that. Like, Jesus rescues the disciples from the storm. They're eventually going to die. Many of them are martyrs' death. This isn't some sort of like, When I say Jesus rescues us, he does it in his own way, which sometimes includes our own death, right? But he's guaranteed to rescue you. But now you're like, you know what, though? But I've got a hard heart. I don't know, this is maybe this isn't for me. I've got a hard heart. Look at the story. The disciples have hard hearts, but who ends up getting rescued? The disciples. Jesus doesn't walk on the water. He's not like about to pass by, and he's like, hey, softened hearts yet? All right, let me know. Let me know when you're ready for me. He goes and he climbs in the boat, hard heart and all, and fixes them. That's all I want to say. That's that's the whole point, is that God has become flesh in Jesus Christ. (laughs) And he's in your boat, and he's determined to fix you. He's determined to fix everything about you. He's determined to fix your world. He's determined to raise your body on the last day. That's what he died and came for. That's what he rose from the dead for, to climb into your boat and to fix everything about us. Stand and pray with me, then we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, thank you for being thank you for being one of us. Thank you for not standing at a distance. But, but, but also for not losing your glory by becoming one of us. By not giving up anything to become one of us. By not losing any of your power or any of your love or any of your might. Oh man, God, I, I'm so forgetful of this. I so frequently trust in weird, invisible, fake idols to give me purpose and meaning and hope and then shake my fist at you when I don't know where you're at. And Jesus, just thank you so much for loving me and for us and for climbing into our boat and for fixing us. To Turn our eyes towards you. Help us to find this meaning and purpose in you. Lord, in your mercy. God, uh, there's all kinds of storms that we go through. Some, some of them are like actual literal storms, but Some of them are like health storms and relationship storms and money storms. God, fix these things. We need you to fix us. We need you to make all things new. We need you to rescue us. We pray again this morning, thinking about um, the Early family, the family of Joe Early, whose funeral we had here yesterday, and uh, um, your love for them and your commitment to raise Joe from the dead and to heal all his relationships on the last day. You're holding him in the palm of your hand even now. God, give that family comfort and hope. Give us all comfort and hope. Father, we're sitting in the, a boat and there's only two inches of wood between us and death. 
And we need you to climb into this boat. We need your resurrected son to fix this thing. God, give us this hope and comfort that comes from knowing Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you for our sister churches in the area. We praise and thank you this morning, especially for Trinity Lutheran and for Pastor Shank and Beerman and bless them in their ministry there as they preach your word and as your people um, receive your sacraments and um, sing praises to you. May your name be lifted up and glorified. Be with every church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon area. God, may we all together see your kingdom working and growing. May there not be a single square inch of this town that does not confess that your son Jesus is Lord. Lord, in your mercy. We pray these things because you are a good God and because you've climbed into the boat with us. And now we can turn to you whenever we want. And so we come to you in the person and in union with your son Jesus Christ who died for us and rose from the dead for us. We come as your children, praying in his name. Amen. Confess, if you can, the words of the Nicene Creed with me. This is found in your bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Talk to people this morning in the full confidence that in Christian community we're actually experiencing Jesus himself. Go in peace.